Neil, I'm pumped to be chatting today. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, good to be back. I guess I was on for the summit. Uh, what was that? Like two, three years ago? Uh, yes. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're one of my favorite people to to talk to and hang out with on Twitter. So this is this is going to be fun. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate the support. I I think like me, kind of you're someone with just too many interests. Like you could go to a party and probably like introduce yourself and say what you're working on and give like 15 different viable answers to different people. Uh, so like what on your plate right now has you most excited? That's a tough question. Uh, could be the pod- single answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a toss up between the podcasts. So I'm like, I feel like in the last three or four months, I've kind of gotten more like, like reinvigorated, I should say about the podcasts. Like I've just kind of reframed how I've thought about them. It's like, so for example, outside the system, and I think this is similar to what you're doing with this show. I'm using it as a vehicle to talk to people that I really want to talk to and hopefully spread their message to uh, people who who want to listen to that. But, um, you know, a lot of times, like you follow certain people on Twitter or you read about certain things. That's like a one way conversation. You know, there's somebody telling you watch a YouTube video, right? You're just listening to their thoughts. But a lot of I'm sure you have this experience. You sometimes you have your own questions that pop up and you're like, I really wish I could ask them, you know, this or how this thing connects to that thing. And that was the motivation kind of between you know, starting outside the system. It's like, I already had a podcast, didn't need another one. But this one was essentially created to... I was getting really frustrated. Like, it's really easy to get blackpilled, I think, uh, with everything that's going on. And, you know, especially sitting, you sit on reading stuff on Twitter, you're like... You're going to find blackpilled? Yes. For people that don't know, basically, uh, hopeless. <laughs> like, things <laughs> are going down hopeless. in this... Yeah, things are going down. There's no way to fix it, right? And like, when you start digging into stuff, that's actually not true. There's a lot of people working on really cool things and solutions to a lot of the problems that we face. But I think what tends to get amplified uh, on any social media platform, not to just pick on Twitter, but I think Twitter's the worst at this, um, is like the negative news. And it's like, you look on Twitter, like everyone's getting murdered, everyone's dying of myocarditis, like everything is like everything is bad right and like that's actually not at all uh true so i started looking into like people actually solving some of these problems and this is before i started the podcast and there were obviously a lot of people working really hard on really cool things and um and you know we can talk about any of those things but things in healthcare things in food things in uh media even like we were talking about before we hit record about fountain um there's a lot of like people working on good solutions and so i just wanted to highlight that that's number one. And then, I mean, kind of tied with that is I wanted to talk to these people and kind of make myself more hopeful and be more exposed to the solutions to all of these problems. And, you know, I think selfishly, and this is also applies to the audience, I think, for the people who do listen to the show, um, the hope is that it inspires you to also go create solutions. Because we spend basically every episode, we spend some time on the problem and really defining it and like, for people who aren't familiar with the, that particular problem, like explaining why the problem exists, what's stopping it from being solved, the incentive structures, like we get pretty deep. Um, and then we talk about what the person is actually building to solve it. And I try to poke holes too in some of these. Like I, I, and, and usually people who are building these outside the system type solutions have been forced to steel man their company um, really strongly because you know it's a non-traditional solution. It's not like they went and raise you know millions of dollars because they're building like an e-commerce pet food site or something <laughs> like it's usually something a little bit more uh, difficult, and they're going against very entrenched interests. So outside the system has me really excited to answer your question. Um, and then I have uh, a company that's like a tech-enabled service in the corporate innovation space called Extivate, which I really like. So I used to do a lot of so I worked in corporate innovation years ago, um, did a lot of consulting work after I left and. You know, kind of was like getting. I was never thrilled about doing consulting work because um, the idea of like selling hours. It, you know, you can bill a high hourly rate, which is nice, and I think a little bit underrated, um, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, but I, I do think it's not like obviously a scalable thing. You're not building a company; you're just kind of doing mercenary projects. Super exciting, um, and so Excavate is like essentially taking one of the types of services that I used to offer, and 
essentially using a lot of digital leverage. So we use a lot of tools that we haven't really built a lot of custom software or any custom software yet, although we do have ideas. Um, and then combining that with process. So basically process, digital leverage, um, and then really smart people who, for one reason or another, are not working a full-time job and need work that they can do on their own time at their own pace. Um, so these are people who might be like super qualified, but are like stay-at-home moms or like they went back to school and they're like looking for some side income or a startup founder who's like previously worked in a company that's, you know, similar to one of our clients, but is now building a company, but wants a few hours on the side to like make a little bit of cash so they don't have to pay themselves through their company. So there's like all these people out there who are really talented, but for one reason or another, not really in the traditional job market. Um, and so that's kind of the third leg of what we do. So our, our product to just kind of keep it, uh, kind of high level. Yeah. Yeah. Our product is basically, so if you're a corporate, uh, innovation group, who's interested in a new market or, or any market or technology, um, you kind of have a couple different options right now, excluding Excavate. You have the ability to go research that market or, or, or learn more about the market yourself. That could be like Google deep dives, could be buying like Nielsen reports, could be like speaking to subject matter experts. That, that process usually like, it's not like they're sitting around with idle time. So there might take three to six months for them to kind of go, go do that. The world's moving super fast. That's a, almost too long. Like things would have shifted probably in those three to six months and your research is useless. Um, another option is go to a large consulting firm. So like Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey, um, Accenture, Deloitte also have some, all have like similar offerings um, to help a company get up to speed. But again, it's a three to six month project. Not to mention getting the project, like selecting which company to use and all that. It's probably looking at more to like three to nine months. Um, and it's going to be very expensive. Um, the other thing is the output format that they have because all these companies have an hourly billing model. Um, and their goal is to sell large projects after doing this research, right? The output of their research is always going to be like, there's a famous joke about McKinsey, like McKin every McKinsey project ends with a recommendation to do another McKinsey project. <laughs> Um, it's just the nature of how they, how they are, right? It's like these sort of like research projects are top of funnel for them to sell larger implementation projects or larger like business restructuring projects. So it's, it, it's basically a sales tool for them no that they secret. get paid for. Yeah. 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 And, um, so those are kind of like the two options. And then the, uh, the third option is kind of go hire an individual consultant, but it's like, how are you going to find that person? Yeah, and that's Where, its own you know, challenge. That's are they qualified? Challenge. Do they know this market? Right. And so that's also a really hard thing to do. So what we created is like an on-demand service. So people basically sign up for, or companies sign up for a subscription. They get a certain number of these deep dives every year, um, depending on what level of subscription they have. It could be 10, it could be 20, 30, whatever. Um, they prepay or they're on some kind of like monthly, quarterly billing plan. We have a few different options. And then because there are, you know, they're already set up, um, they can come to us. We have an intake process, which is very asynchronous, actually. It's, it's actually Google form followed by a Loom video, typically for clarified questions. Uh, and then, and then kind of they come back to us with the answers, but basically 15 business days from start to finish. Wow. Like we start the project after the intake is done. We have kind of a midpoint check in, like seven, eight days in where it's like, Hey, here's what we found so far. Is this in line with what you were looking for? Um, basically they have a chance to pivot, right? If we're, if we're kind of looking, if we're looking in the wrong, cause sometimes there's stuff that like we might interpret one way, like it's a term yeah, that we pretty interpret. Open -ended. It's pretty open-ended and every, every product is different. Um, and then on the other, like after the, the eight days, the check-in, uh, then we turn around a final report in the, in the format of a PowerPoint or uh PDF, depending on whatever they want. Some companies are very anti-PowerPoint, some are pro-PowerPoint. Um, and then the key part of all this is typically the, the reason why they're doing this is to either partner with, invest, or acquire a startup. Um, so it's very much at this like corporate startup intersection, which is where my book was uh, as well. And so, so basically the second part of the output is an Excel sheet that has essentially sorted the startup landscape for them. So, so it's kind of, we don't rank like recommendations. What is it? Naming names, like, like. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We give them in, in contact info and like if there's criteria that they care about. So like one example would be if let's say I'm looking to make an investment. Um, 
I obviously am not going to invest in a company my competitor is already invested in. So we would, we, we sort through all of that. It's like, Hey, like we'll highlight this one in, as red because yeah, it fits all of your criteria, but your direct competitor already invested. It's on the cap table. You're not going to want to do that. We don't make a recommendation though of saying like, this is the company you should go work with. Um, we've been on the fence about that, but I view that more as consulting. And whereas we are like a research company. Uh, and I think to actually make that recommendation, you have to be more embedded. Like you have to know a lot more about the company that you're working with. You probably want to interview some people, right? Yeah. You want to get on the phone with them. You'd want to take And we don't do any of that. several meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't do any of that. So I, I never felt comfortable. Right. And it's, and it's less scalable because, you know, with what we do, it's like we surface a lot of data and then a human sorts through it. So one of these people that I was mentioning sorts through it and help and creates output with some automations and stuff as well built into that. Um, but to do what you're talking about, right? That's like phone calls and like scheduling and like there's a whole, that's a whole nother animal. I think if we ever got there, well, you know, maybe we would get there, but it's like, and we could probably charge a lot more for that. Um, but it's, it's not as scalable. Cause like right now, for yeah. example, we're working with like 12, 12 enterprise customers. Um, and we're probably at like five to seven projects at a time. So it's, it's, it's moved pretty fast. Um, yeah, I cool. think if we got to 20, projects at a time we'd be okay with our current process i think if we got to 100 we'd be screwed so it's always a matter of like i feel like any of these businesses it's always a matter of um like you kind of got to grow the demand and then you have to make your process match that and then being like an agency is it is itself a two-sided marketplace exactly that's exactly right yeah yeah so anyway that's those are the two things that have me most excited right now i love that there's there's a lot of very evident excitement in that answer I think one thing you can probably relate to as a podcast host yourself, what I try to do, my mark of a good interview is I try to show up with one question ready and just hope that question leads to enough of like conversation to just not need to look at the outlines for the rest of the hour. I feel like I'm already at that point. Uh, I have several (laughs) questions, of course, like the the purpose of the outline is if you hit a snag, you as a host just kind of like plug in another question, have a really abrupt change, changes the pace for everybody. It's like a good thing to do, but like best case scenario, completely unnecessary. You don't need it. Yep. I'm curious what your kind of specific personal goals are right now, because it's like, I think at this point in your career, you have tons of viable options, right? It's like you said, again, not thrilled about consulting, but I imagine with the amount of momentum and duration you've had, you could probably support yourself indefinitely just based on like word of mouth inbound projects there. You have this agency that's, again, for lack of better term, agency slash tech product marketplace scaling. Again, you have all this media, like what are you trying to achieve in the near term? Like what's motivating all of the efforts into these different things right now? Like, what's the purpose? It's a very deep question. It doesn't have to be like super, super deep, but that's like something I'm genuinely curious about when you're like at a stage where you have a lot of choice in your career, you're self-employed, you've been self-employed for a long time. You can, you have a ton of options. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, so on the, on the Extivate front, I actually do really feel like the industry kind of sucks right now um, in the sense that the way companies are solving this problem because like, I was in the space for a long time, both as a consultant and internal. Like I joined Estee Lauder in twenty early 2015. So, you know, it's like eight years ago that I've been close to the space. Then I wrote the book in 2018. Uh, then I was doing like some cons- like a bunch of consulting work. And then Excavate was just like last year, uh, like early last year or like late 2021 is when we started it. Um, so it's like I've seen a diff- lot of different angles on this space. And it's like, I genuinely feel that our like our solution is what every company should be using in the space. And so it actually is very, very motivating when you get on a call with somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, we use like BCG. And it's like, I want to take that customer from BCG. Like it's, <laughs> it's very much like a competitive thing right now. And it's also the other thing is like I've done a lot of self-employed work uh, for several years now, but it's I don't feel like I have kind of it's not that I haven't accomplished anything, but it's like, I haven't owned a space in the way that like, I think X can, right? Like I, I think like, um, it would be very gratifying to grow X as big as it can, it can get. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean that big in the sense of like number of employees or anything like that. Like I, I don't really care about that. It's more like, I just want to work with every single large company out there. Like, it's just like that, it, that's kind of motivating me right now is like, let, let's, let's make this you know as big as it, as it can get. 
um, and kind of change how this work is done in this industry. Because I think it's horribly inefficient right now. And it actually like destroys all the progress. Like a lot of companies have really great ideas because I can see all of these now because all the projects we're working on are kind of up, like they're not product launches yet. They're all just ideas. Um, and they have actually all the ideas and, and some of them are really interesting and world changing actually. And then they just get mired in these endless consulting projects uh, to try to bring them to light, life. And it's just like, we don't need to be doing that. Like, how about we create an affordable, quick turnaround research process so you can actually start building and like doing stuff. Um, and I think no code ties into a lot of this because okay, the two, yeah, because the two roadblocks are basically what to do and then how to go test it, right? And like the what to do part is what we're trying to solve right now. And then the how to go test it part, we haven't started touching yet, but I've seen I've seen some companies do a decent job at it. Like, for example, if it's a product company, um, like a CPG company or something, they could, in theory, do the same thing you and I would do if we're testing an, a new product idea, like go create a Shopify page, you know, buy some ads, create some mock-ups. Yep. Yep. And I've seen more companies at least be open to that idea. Like I would say five years ago, everyone was very against it. I think now I've actually seen a couple of companies try it. Um, and so I think so like- Equivalency is just a wait list, right? Or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. But like get real market feedback, like not just kind of sit around in a conference room and be like, oh, this is a good idea or no, this isn't a, like you have no data. How are you making that decision? Um, so I think like, I think the, like changing the way that these large companies go about innovation is actually kind of motivating to me. Um, is that something I'm going to be working on in 20 years? Probably not. Uh, but I think like at this point in my life, it's super motivating to do that. And then I think the second thing is I'm always a little bit underemployed. Like I think Paul Millard talks about this stuff really, really well, um, of kind of keeping yourself a little underemployed to leave room for, for different opportunities. Um, so there's a couple of things I've, I've been, and th these would be maybe more just like, I don't even know whether to call it consulting or like side gig or something like that, but, um, projects that are closer to like the outside the system work that I'm doing, uh, in like food or in the healthcare space. So, you know, we'll kind of see where some of those go, but that would be a, another thing that would be like really fun to go work on. Cause I, I just feel that I do feel like from a, like from a mission standpoint, I think that stuff is so needed and there's not enough people working on it. Um, and it's also, again, it's kind of goes back to like, I don't like how McKinsey and BCG and some of these other firms are doing it in the corporate innovation space. And it's motivating to compete against them in the same way. It's like food and healthcare, like mainstream systems that are in place for that suck. It's like, I would love to compete against them and beat them. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a relationship with Justin Mares? I know him and Nat, like, yeah, pers yeah. His yeah, yeah is like, he's like the best. Like I, oh, I've yeah. personally developed a lot of passion for like the things he talk about. He talks about from from reading his works. Like that's who comes to mind for me when you're talking about like broken health and food care systems, food care, health and food care. But <laughs> it's yeah, uh, it should it should be food care. <laughs> honestly, uh, it's like potential projects like and that's like ecosystem. Like I think of him as like one of like the most. Uh, articulate people on those problems, at least that I've encountered. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's great. I mean, there's a lot of great people, but yeah, he's, he's definitely probably the most, he's the best at like breaking down the concept, I think, in a digestible, understandable way. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's awesome. Like, yeah, I talk, so I've known Justin for since I was a sophomore in college and he was a junior. Um, Did you go to school? No, he went, we went to neighboring colleges and then we were both working on uh, terrible business ideas in the same <laughs> space. Um, I was working on one that was like uh, in the college recruiting space and he was working on one that was like matching roommates to each other and both of us were selling to colleges. And so somebody put us in touch and we, you know, we kind of became friends through that. But uh, it's, just, it's kind of funny is both, both of those ideas, I don't think either of us would come close to working on anymore <laughs> it's just there's so many you know rites of passage in the uh, right. the progression and it's like the terrible app for college students or the the app that helps you know which bars have the most activity like all the classic 
ideas or like the one that's the other one's a t-shirt company which i never company i never did the t-shirt one but yeah oh yeah the laundry that's another one (laughs) although my brother my brother did a my brother's rite of passage for this was uh a very similar idea to instacart before instacart existed it's called growth periodically they are good yeah but he never really like it never really got off the ground um but it was just kind of funny because like when instacart got popular he's like wow this is exactly what i was building (laughs) And I have had like, you know, I don't want to say this like and I, I never know who's, who's listening to the show and I don't want to be discouraging of it. Like I've had several survivorship stories as well. Like Corsicle is an app that helps college students sketch, like get notified when a seat opens up at a class. So, like you can be the first one to transfer out of the 8 a.m. when the 9 a.m. section opens. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that, that's like a very like college student idea that like actually has been viable for a decade. Uh, we just had Brett Kopf, who's the founder of Remind 101, which is like lets teachers tell you an app like assignments or do like a notification app so it's like there's plenty of these things actually do survive uh and it's like again the the also like sub theme here is like you and justin have both gone on to like do successful do things, things because of yeah. these experiences so it's like it's it's an important part of the progression oh yeah you should i mean you learn so much by doing that like yeah you could not you couldn't like so many things that you learn how to do as like enabling functions of those any business idea is transferable like, yeah, there's some domain specific stuff that you're probably never going to use again. But most of the things like setting up a website, like driving, how to drive traffic, to it, putting yourself to out there, lead, getting putting yourself out it. there. Yeah, that's actually the hardest thing. I think like, uh, getting over that fear of being embarrassed <laughs> is is not easy. But um, yeah, like I think social skills of entrepreneurship and like getting used to like getting like how to handle an email chain where it's like, hey wanted to connect the dots between you and, and this person, like knowing how to like gracefully handle one of those situations, like all of those like softer social skills are like arguably as important as like the website and the using Upwork and the like recruiting interns and the all that stuff and finding the community centers. And and you're never going to learn that in school. No, like those are not skills that and I don't even know how they would teach that. It's basically what's like, it's tough to be like, you know, I think about, I think it's one thing a lot of like entrepreneurs think about is like, how do you teach this in school? And it's like, have a class where it's like, you need to go make money. It's like, okay, you, you, here's, you all have a budget of a hundred dollars provided by the school, whatever. It's like, go turn a hundred into a thousand, like go drive for Uber. And it's like, take a thousand, turn it into 10,000. And like, there's like a, there's like some numbers you can play with it, but like you give them a series of ideas, right? It's like, go find the local businesses, go try to sell your top, like take people through the whole progression of like, go be a consultant, like go have a side hustle or like in the gig economy, use that to like go do some other thing, use that to go do some other thing. And then like, if you did it over the course of a year, you could probably get people like, okay, now use that money to like, it, I don't know, there's like ways to do it, but it's how do you tie a grade to like, did they make money? But I don't totally know. I, that's, it also doesn't have to yeah. be done in a college it uh, scenario. So <laughs> there's probably like a, there's probably like a rite of passage, like David Perel style school that someone could start that was about this. I don't know exactly sure. how that worked, but it it wouldn't cost what a college class costs necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I was telling you about this before we started, but the the coaching program I'm in, I mean, I objectively spent infinite more money on it than I spent on school because I went to school for free. Right. So, and I spent $10,000 for like a year long coaching program. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, this is, it is like incredible the amount of value I'm getting from this program. There's like certain things where it's like you have to be pre-qualified in terms of like, your business had to be doing a certain amount. Like they didn't want to take someone who's never made a dollar on the internet and have them in this oh, group. But like, yeah. like you had to be, have had a, at least a $10,000 a month for your agency before they accept you, which at least for the terms at the time. But like these, again, it's, only, it's more of an apprenticeship model, right? It is just like, here's a bunch of guys who've taken agencies from 10K a month to 50K a month. If you're at 10K a month, we're going to help you get to 50K a month. Just like really specific apprenticeship. Yep. And in a group experience. Yeah. So then you get the community as part of that too, which I think is important because it's like, yeah, somebody could say you can go do all this by yourself. Like, what's to stop you, I guess, from going and starting a company online and there's no real gatekeeper. But I think having the other people to learn from is, is actually equally important as the actual, because, because there's a lot of things that you'll get stuck in by yourself, which actually other people have solved and, and, and would just unblock you really, really easily. Exactly. One of the ways I framed it, I'm like, okay, you know, there's 26 month chunks of this decade of my 20s. 
And my framing was like, okay, I don't know if this is going to solve all of my problems, but I think it's going to accelerate whatever I do. They're not going to teach me anything I couldn't figure out because none of them are like objectively smarter than me or like roughly in the same same bandwidth, right? Some of them definitely are smarter than me, but like, I don't like to, again, say people are smarter than me because it's like, then it becomes an excuse to not achieve what they've achieved, right? right? Even if they are actually smarter than me, I'm not going to tell myself that. And point is, it's like, if $10,000, is that worth accelerating my timeline to success by by six months? It's like, of course. And I think for so many of these things, it's, it's, it's again, all the rights, there's a, who was I listening to? I think it's Hormozy actually, uh, who's saying that, you know, entrepreneurship is like the best self-development tool in the world because it's just consistently like teach, like forcing you to like overcome ego and, and all of these things and just like realize and like forces you to be a good person because you realize you don't succeed long-term by not being a good person. Like all of these positive character traits that get developed by it. But for me, it's like, and then also valuing your time, like recognizing the scarcity of time. Great. Like all of those things just kind of are downstream of like learning how to be effective as an entrepreneur operator. And like creating value, like for somebody, right? It's like, why would they buy from you? Um, actually having somebody buy from you is very, like, it's fascinating in large companies. And this is probably true. This is probably even more true in people that don't work for companies, but work for other types of organizations. But it's, a, it's so fascinating how many people in a large company have never actually talked to their target customer. Uh, it's just not something they do. Oh, I work in like product development. And it's like, okay, so how much time are you spending with, like, or who is your target customer? I don't know. It's like whoever the brand wants us to make the product for. It's like, there's just like so many levels in the chain. Um, and you never have that complete responsibility for the output. Whereas, yeah, as a founder, it's like, you have to be, especially an early stage founder. I think it's like changes as a company get bigger, probably. But uh, especially if you're trying to start something from scratch, like what we've been talking about here, you know, you need to know customer you need to know what goes into the product like you just have such ownership over everything um that is just like very hard to replicate that and you you level up on all these things you know really fast i think as a founder yeah. uh, another pattern that i was like heard from you and heard from hormozy and, and observed in my own that like i'm trying to get out there too is like there's a phase when i joined this business uh orbit like doing the data and analyst consulting where my business partner was like all right go get more customers and like i found a couple customers to do this thing go find more of them and basically for several months, like we were not very successful in doing that. I was like, okay, new plan. We're just going to like let find as many businesses who will let us like touch something in their business. Just like get behind the door and like do something and get involved. And from there, it's like, we'll discover actual problems in the same, in the same niche. So it's like doing several hours of like free work just so you can get behind the scenes of businesses in the same sphere, the same, again, no pun intended, but the same orbit of like topics. So we're like data analytics, tech, like what are problems that this type of businesses face? So it's like, you know, we have friends who run these businesses. I have friends who run e-commerce stores. I have friends with info products. I have friends with marketing agencies. Like, just like, let me help you with something. And there's like a counter advice. It's like, you also need to like make suggestions in terms of like the types of things you might be able to help with. Right. Because it's like, you can't just like reach out to like a famous person and be like, hey, it'll work for you for free. Because then it's actually putting the burden on them to like come up with something free to do. Like that's not actually net helpful. But it's like, I'm really good at these things. And anything vaguely related to software, anything vaguely related to data, anything vaguely related to analytics. If you need a dashboard, if there are numbers, like do any of these things strike a chord with you? And it's like, then just we got behind the door of like five businesses with like people I was acquainted with through the podcast. And we're just like, oh, this whole Google Analytics 4 thing's a big deal that no one knows how to handle. Oh, you know, this whole Facebook's conversion API uh, since iOS 14, ad attribution is a big thing no one knows how to handle. Let's just like stop, start talking about those things. And of course, inevitably, we ended up upselling the core thing we were trying to sell in the first place. But it was just about like the trust <laughs> of so fun lessons. But it's also it's also like something you realize when you start selling something is like the the level of difficulty in creating a business is pretty high, you know. So it forces you to, to improve your skills and like find all the like these creative solutions. Like it's not as the prop like one of the problems I think with school. And I don't know if we want to do a tangent here of like education but it's it's very linear right so to your point of you guys were trying some things for months weren't getting anywhere with it you had to go back to the drawing board like that is not the way a school lesson works right it's like school lesson is teacher taught you something here's some practice problems or an exam on that exact topic like you very rarely have this like iterative cycle that you're talking about here where you try something for a while you try everything nothing works 
then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board and start thinking really outside of the box to to and not to use a cliche but just like to to really get um get unstuck from from where you were you were before and it's like to your point of what you just said that story you just you just gave like you ultimately kind of ended up selling the same thing you were selling it's just it went through this convoluted path and you probably also got better at talking about it because now you're speaking the language of of the customer not just you know how you would pitch it from the outside but because you were involved in all these companies you hear how they're talking about the problem and then you can say it in a way that kind of resonates with them a lot more exactly and there are also just prerequisites for someone to be ready to accept that that higher level thing from you right it's like that service is like requires a lot of trust that like we're saying Mm. we're going to become the source of truth for your business data I don't really know if you're going to, if you're smart enough to do that, right? Like an actual objection that maybe it's not verbalized, but like, that's what's psychologically preventing them from wanting you to do that. So it's like, no one's ready to hand that body of work over to us until they see that we're competent via having done something else successful for them before on a smaller scale, or of course, separately, like an intro or referral, but like that's a cold start problem in and of itself. Cause then you have to have already done it successfully for a person who knows another person. But, right. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I mean, yeah, right now we're even at Excavate. It's like largely getting most of our so out of our 12 we probably got like 10 through referral or we're kind of like one degree removed from my network um so it's one of those two and then the two came through like we didn't have any connection either through one came through a partner one came through cold email um your own but it's like what is it your own outbound cold email yeah our own outbound yeah 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 that was also a fun process because i was actually convinced last year that this this business would not cold email would not work for this business. So I I like did a half-hearted experiment early on in the year. Didn't work. I was like, see, I knew it wouldn't work. <laughs> see, and then, like, so it confirmed my own bias. And then later on in the year, I think yeah. I was just like inspired by somebody on Twitter talking about selling to a big company using cold email. And I was like, man, maybe I'm like too biased against that working in this space. I should try again. So I gave myself like a couple of sequences and I was like, I'm going to just do two separate three email sequences um and we got so far we've gotten one this was in december i did it like end of the year because sometimes people have leftover budget you know that they need to spend and stuff so i mean none of we didn't get anyone's leftover budget but i got a bunch of responses from people um at that time of year because i think maybe things were a little slower or whatever whatever the reason was it did resonate i probably got like 20 responses on like a list that was not those from a percentage basis you're gonna think it's shitty I was surprised anyone responded at all responded at all, but it was probably like eight hundred to nine hundred emails were sent out. Like uh That's individual solid. people. Yeah, twenty responses. I mean it's just about those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had higher like I've done cold what email. You know, like two hours a week to build a list of nine hundred people. You know what I mean? And so, well, it's so worth or it. Or if you had it's that so, completely outsourced. It's so right? worth it. Like I, I outsourced that. Yeah. Yeah. I had actually outsourced all of it besides the writing of the emails. I wrote the emails. Um but I I outsourced the list building and uh, which I think that made sense to do because it was it wasn't worth uh, my yeah. time to do it. But it was it was like um, so twenty responses of those twenty it was like eight or nine were like thanks for sending this we work with other companies on this exact thing so we don't need your services. I responded to those like I, and we got some actual conversations with those companies. Uh, none of those have converted to customers, but they're all like we have a few leads from that group. Eleven I got on the phone with, and like ten of them are probably like still in, or maybe not ten, but eight out of those eleven are probably still in the pipeline. Like, because enterprise sales does take a while, right? It's like you get yeah. that one person on board. They need there's like three other people they need to get on board. Like it's it's never just like one guy unless you're really high up in the org. Um, and even then, sometimes they have like other people they want to run stuff by, but. So, so we haven't been paid by any of those those eight, but one we just brought on last week. So it's like my bias against cold email. I could have been doing this like nine months ago, ten months ago, um, but I was sort of already biased that this channel wouldn't work, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, I think delayed doing it uh, for way longer than I should have. I could spend an entire another hour talking about cold email. Yeah. Uh, to b- bounce into a few topics. Tell me about the fountain app and why you're so bullish on those guys. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wouldn't even say I'm like bullish on them. Um, I personally love what they're building, though. Uh, I don't know enough to say I'm bullish or not, because 
like I have it. So on, on one hand, I personally love it as a podcaster and as a user. Like I think their their listening app and Oscar knows this. A lot of people tell him this. Their listening app could be a lot better, I think. And they're, you know, they actually are working on that and hopefully it'll be better soon. Um, but as a podcaster, the thing that's super cool is being able to get direct financial support. So it's less about the money. It's more about the signal uh, from listeners. So I think, actually, let me check live how many uh, people have sent Bitcoin to the podcast. And I guess, take a step back. Huh? The sat counter. The sat. Well, yeah. And I think it's less about the number of sats. It's more like how many listeners have taken the time to send something. Yeah. Yeah. So 258 supporters uh, have sent sats. And the the total number of sats is only about like 37,000. So it's not like a, you know, yeah. ridiculous number of sat or anything sat math that's like seven dollars i don't know it's like off the top of my head no it's not much it's not much money but the thing that's cool about, about it is just like okay this is you know we were talking about earlier i don't know if we had hit record yet but like the number of uh followers or subscribers is really hard to figure out for podcasts it's like if somebody's given sats to my podcast i'm pretty sure they're uh, that's a hundred dollars thirty seven hundred hundred twenty dollars just okay. for the, the fact check that's, I mean, it's not nothing. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the thing that's cool about it is, yeah, it's Fountain is an enabler of this, but Fountain is actually not podcast. It's not the only podcasting 2.0 player. So the way podcasts work, it's like an RSS feed, which is open. And when somebody says like, oh, this podcast got like, like Alex Jones podcast or something, right? It gets like removed. They're basically, that's a platform blocking the RSS feed. The podcast still exists, actually. There's podcast players which don't buy it, you know, don't censor. It's the same fallacy as saying, like, Bitcoin got hacked. It's like, yes. It's like Bitcoin did not get hacked. It's like the wallet might have gotten compromised. Someone figured out your password to Coinbase, or it's like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's not exactly right. So that's the exact way to think about it. So it's like, so podcasting is an open protocol. Podcasting 2.0, which is what Fountain uses to do these donations is also an open protocol and fountain is just a platform that uses that protocol if that all if that makes sense so so fountain isn't the one all this is not taking place on so fountain and i get a question sometimes of like what's the difference between like fountain and patreon that's like i mean there's similarities for sure on what level do you want me to answer the question right yeah yeah it's like you're you're financially supporting a creator that's true on both platforms fountain you can do some cool things like you can stream people sats per minute like i can say you know, I'm going to give 10 sats per minute of listening. So then if I like only listen to seven minutes of a podcast, they'll only get 70 sats. If I listen to the whole, you know, 100 minutes, they'll get more. So that that's like one way to do it. You can do a boost, which is like a tip. Um, I just think what's really cool about it is like, it's, there, it's like permissionless. So I'm not like beholden to a platform. Um, it's a way to get direct financial support. It's a really good signal. So in their app, even you can look in the home uh, tab. And you'll see like the donations that people you follow, or not donations, but boosts or, or streams that people you follow are giving to different episodes. And that can influence which episodes you choose to listen to. Like, oh, that's cool. Because, I mean, we all follow more podcasts than we can possibly listen to every single episode. And so, you know, like I love Citadel Dispatch from uh, Matt Odell, but I don't listen to every episode. Each episode's like two hours long. Like I pick and choose and i'll just look in fountain sometimes and be like reach out to odell he'd be i got so many old bitcoin magazine guys i'm trying to get on the show dude he's awesome i love i love what he's doing with citadel dispatch but but i don't listen to every episode and but i can see like oh this episode got boosted you know seven million sats this episode got boosted two million sats so i'm like okay there's probably more signal in the seven million one um and it's not always true, right? Like some episodes just that become underrated. what's it called unusual whale right unusual whales just just some guy just felt like uh Odell just needed some sass that day. But. Dude, you'll see some big donations sometimes in in uh, in Fountain because a lot of it's, I mean, I think it's a setting, but you can make it like you can set a username and make it public like and kind of get like followers and stuff on there too. So you can see like some people, you know, like I think the biggest one I saw was maybe one whole Bitcoin. Somebody got but it was like, that was like Adam Curry, I think. Like, so Adam yeah. Curry is, yep. you, are you familiar Godfather with that? Godfather of podcasting, he calls himself. Yeah. Of podcasting and of podcasting 2.0. Um, and he's a, I think he's actually an investor in Fountain. Like, I think he's, I think so. I think I saw a panel with him at the conference, at the Bitcoin conference last year with like him and the Fountain guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's some connection, but his podcast is always like the top boosted podcast on Fountain. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, that's why I'm so that's kind of why I'm bullish on it is just like, you know, direct way to, to connect with the audience, not, you know, not a platform that you need permission from, you know, it's just from that perspective, it's awesome. Um, and then, of course, it uses Bitcoin, not some shit coin. So it's like just much better from that perspective. The degree of like awareness that you as a podcast host should have with the listener is something like I don't know what the right answer to is, but just like a Satoshi is a like subunit of a Bitcoin for people who don't know. So like a penny yes. is a fraction of a dollar. A Satoshi is a fraction of a Bitcoin. A Bitcoin is a hundred million. Satoshi is, I believe. So, right. Yeah, or is I, it one million? Uh, I don't know. No, there's a hundred. I think there's a hundred million sats in a per, per, or no, per uh, 10 million. Hold on. Hold on. We're, we're being really dumb right now. Yeah. Um, How many uh, Satoshi per Bitcoin? Might be 10 million. A hundred million. Okay. A hundred million. I've, okay, yeah. I've unembarrassed myself by getting it right, but I've embarrassed myself by doubting that I'm right. Yeah. So, um, what I was gonna, what I was gonna say is the other. Um, that was a very audible sigh. <laughs> the other, the other uh, valuable thing about Fountain and Podcast and 2.0, which I think is like a broader topic, um, is creating a, like a Bitcoin circular economy. I think is very important and. To me, it's like one of the biggest holes in like, so, so I obviously Bitcoiner, I love Bitcoin. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, but the thing that I like when I try to poke holes in it, the thing that I so far think has not been answered properly is like, let's say all the on and off ramps get cut off. How does this actually become a usable currency outside of like a, a few small use cases? And I think like one of those things that is cool about podcasting 2.0 is like you can actually support your favorite podcaster in this currency now uh, and not need dollars in like the way that Patreon is. And this can't be shut off, right? If we think about censorship resistance, that's really important. And so it's like, because I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective, when I get sats through Fountain. I have a lightning wallet on Fountain. Obviously, I have another lightning wallet that I can send sats to. Occasionally, I've taken sats off the platform. But largely, I'm keeping them on the platform and using them to support other podcasters. And so it's like, it really becomes like a virtuous cycle in that way, where it's like people are sending me sets, I'm sending it to other podcasters, you know, and like, we're just kind of creating this like creator or this content economy. Uh, and I, you know, I hope to see that in more places, actually. I think I, I don't know enough about Noster, but I, I've seen, I, I'm, played around with it and like seen enough to be like, okay, this is another cool use case and way to kind of create this internal like parallel economy almost uh, to the dollar economy. It's fascinating stuff. I'm, I've definitely been uh, all in on the blinder stage. It's kind of been my, my like go-to answer to all things. I'm like, I'm like actually seeing growth in, in the things I'm focusing on because I'm focusing yeah. on them at the exclusion of everything else. So I'm like- Which is good. I think yeah. it's actually really smart. From, uh, <laughs> for no, your it's project. Like, I'm sure, yeah, it's like, I'm sure Noster's awesome. I, actually, I'm not sure it's awesome. I'm sure it's interesting <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. Uh, but it's something I, it's like, haven't gone any further than that. I don't know if you follow Nick Catmine on Twitter. He's, uh, I think he's on one of the lists that I have. Yeah. Okay. He's the guy who, like, is the big brain behind the Bitcoin magazine. Like, he's the meme god behind the magazine. Uh, and I see him talk about Noster. And that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> that kids understand. We were talking earlier about like, how do you train someone to like, write good content and like write good copy? Like, under, like, it's all the same. It's all it's all like, does this person understand memes? Do they understand like virality? And like, again, I'm only so qualified to, to like even say to ask these questions because the results I have to speak to are like still very modest. But he's like the guy I, I, I should yeah. ask him. I'm like, how did you learn? Because he's <laughs> so good. He's a guy who took Bitcoin Magazine's Twitter account from like, on like 400k to 3 million in like two years. Oh, wow. So he's like the meme god and just understands. He's got the pulse, the finger on the pulse. Well, that's part so. of it, right? It's like understanding what your audience will understand and care about. And then also doing it in like, I, I feel like so much of this stuff is like entertainment, but entertainment is like the you Trojan have to love horse. It. Well, have no, to but also it. like entertainment is like the Trojan horse, right? It's like, like see all the specter. Yeah, like B Bitcoin Magazine, for example, right? Is like if he's using memes and like, cool tweets and stuff to try to grow it. And obviously he's been very successful at it. Um, he's probably reached a lot more people about Bitcoin than like somebody just writing like a long thread about like how Bitcoin works and like 
why sound money is important. You know, like it, it's just, it's so interesting. Like, uh, like me, you know, Anil or, said so or whatever his name is. Yes. I've seen him. I mean, like, I don't know. He's him, phenomenal. His content's yeah. phenomenal, but it's like a 10th of the distribution. Cause he's just always serious. I've never seen any non-serious exactly. content from him. Exactly. He, he's exactly. like one of like the five people I've given money to on Gumroad. Wow. But his content's really yeah. good. Uh, it's just that, yeah, but he won't have the same just, reach as somebody with a funny meme. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, one question I have for you in terms of, I've heard you say before that like you really like making intros. Like we've talked a lot about like getting, you know, warm leads and referrals and, and, and like how important that is to everything and how things just come your way. And like you've kind of said that deterministically, some of the way you do that is is by making introductions. Do you have a formal process for doing that? I know uh, this is someone else who like came to mind earlier. Uh, I know we both have interviewed Jacob Greenfeld. And like, this is a point I wanted to make earlier. That's like, what's interesting about him is like, we both interviewed him before he started his current thing, which is like taking off. Yeah. Uh, which is like the outsourced B2B legion business, which is like the building lists and the things like that. So like, that was like a tie in that was in my head at some point earlier. So I made mention of it. But he's got like this whole German style CRM. I call it German style because like in my head, Germans are very planner system oriented. Uh, I don't think it's wrong. It's not. I, I've worked for a German company before. It's just the objective reality. Uh, so he's got this very German systematized CRM of like keeping up with all his personal contacts. Do you have like a system for making introductions? Do you try to do like one a week or just just like as it happens, you're just like in the shower and you're like, ah, Lewis and Bob, boom, get out of yeah, the shower. It's, Lewis it's Bob. serendipitous. No, it's serendipitous for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's like, I've never had like a system around it, but I feel like I talk to a lot of people in general. And so it's, it just happens, right? It's like, oh yeah, this person mentioned something. I'm like, oh yeah, you should talk to this person. I also have, it's weird. I feel like I have a both, there's like a barbell memory. Like I have a very bad memory for some things and I have a very good I like memory that for other things. Yeah. <laughs> or, we're using that one. Or using we're that a one barbell again. memory. Yeah. I'll like, come back I, up in the future, guys. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yeah, like I even when I was a kid, for example, like I was really bad at remembering uh like facts from a class. But I could remember like I was really into into football as a kid and I could like remember like every quarterback's touchdowns by season for I'll be like, oh no, ninety-five, he threw his thirty-seven touchdowns, not thirty-six. Yeah. Like yeah, it's like I would remember random shit like that, but not like what I learned in class the day before. So it's it, it, yeah. I mean, not that I was a bad student, but just like remembering the school stuff was a lot harder. So I think for the intros, it's the same kind of way. It's like I might have talked to somebody nine months ago, and I'm having a conversation with you, and you say something that like reminds me of that person, and I'm like, oh yeah, you guys need to talk, and and then that like I just don't forget those kinds of things. I feel like so I don't have a system to your point. I don't have like oh, I'm going to do one intro a week like. I, yeah, I think it's very serendipitous. It's like the weeks that I talk to more people, I do more intros. The weeks I am more heads down, I don't end up doing that many intros. But I think the other thing with intros, just to make a point of this, is you don't do them with the intention of like something happening to, for you. Like it's not about it's not about like oh if I do an intro for this person, like they'll do an intro for me. It's like that's not really what it's about. Um, it's just like, it's nice to have like one. It's, I like people that I like to know each other. <laughs> like, I think that's super convenient. It's super convenient. And it's like, hey, you already know this person. It's, it's just like nice for that to be the case. And then the other thing is just, you know, if you help somebody like I, I just the whole pay it forward idea. I think if you just if you're helping somebody solve a problem, like they may never help you, but it's just it's just good karma. So it's like if you have, you know, a way to help solve their problem by making an intro for them. Why not? Like it takes a minute. I I have gotten better over the years though of asking people to send me blurbs and stuff. Whereas before I would come up with it and then I would like find that I'm doing a bad job of it because obviously I don't know their company as well as they do. Sure. Um. So I'll just be like, like let's say I was going to make an intro for you right now. I'd be like, hey, just send me like two sentences that I can forward to this person to get their opt-in. Um. Oh yeah, always do double opt-ins. That's, you know, unless it's like, so clear that the, like if i talked to somebody yesterday and then you were like oh yeah i offer this service like somebody wants somebody was like i'm really trying to figure out how to put a dashboard together yeah and like well like a lead is different than that. an intro yes like that's a good like def like good job to the language for like two different words two different circumstances but when a great like, point i don't know if there's an outcome here you're like there might be an outcome there might not be you just two just should know each other right exactly 
Exactly. Like those are, I, I do try to do a double opt-in though. Cause I, I have found like sometimes people don't want them or, you know, or maybe there's some other reason that, you know, their heads down and there's like, I'm not having these conversations right now. Maybe let's think about this in two months or something like that's fine. Um, but I try not to like piss people off with doing the no double intro, uh, intro, you know, introduction. Cause I don't know. I don't get annoyed when people do that for me usually, unless it's like a sales, you yep. know, opt-in email, then it's very annoying. Um, but yeah, otherwise if it's just like, Hey, you guys should know each other. I don't, I don't require a double intro for myself. Yeah. How are we doing on time? Uh, probably another like seven, eight minutes. Okay. Amazing. Uh, I had a point in trying to remember about that. Oh, so I keep talking about cold email wizard. I think it's just good to have like one kind of primary mentor at a time. I don't think that's like worth digging into too much and like actually battle testing that theory. But it is good to like be paying attention to fewer people out at one point in time. So like, you can just be like, this guy has a result I want to have. I'm just going to like go all in on that until I have that result. And then it comes, then like once you get it, it's like, a, we'll got you here, we'll get you there type thing. So like then you like move on and pick a new guy. But for now, I'm like in the phase of like, he's ahead of me. I want to indoctrinate myself in his worldview until I get to where he is. And one thing he always talks about, so kind of like the flip side of intros is, again, you're not deterministically trying to make good things happen to you uh, in terms of like, or at least on the one-to-one piece, right? I think it is fair to say, I'm going to connect 100 people with not the expectation and not with the implication, but realistically, the probabilities are like one to two of them at minimum are going to end up feeling in some way that they might want to do something for me in the future. Like, yeah. I think that's not like a psychopathic manipulative opinion to hold. Uh, and it's non-specific as to who of those are. But also, it is good to have like, and I'm completely okay if zero out of 100 also make any effort to return the favor. Like, I think that's also an important quality. But on, on the flip side, the the way to make it worthwhile is something he talks about like so there's this part of the program called like the sprint which is like sims basically saying like blitz every social channel every day for q1 just every single one and back in terms of like sales cycles and in terms of like uh conversion windows like you just need to exist in the mind of people who can do good things for you all of the time like you just need to consistently stay top of mind and it's not like a braiding way but like i don't know if you follow nick gray uh from the two-hour cocktail party he has yeah, his weekly. I saw you talk to him. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Got like three paperbacks and he had to distribute to people who will likely host parties. Uh, shout out. Yeah, to I him. bought his book too. I, I haven't actually read it yet. Phenomenal. Worthwhile. Bought his book. Yeah. Uh, that book is really good. I'm a fan and did a lot of good things in my life. Shout out to uh, But it's like, do you have a, for you, for example, it's like, you know, you talk about how you got all these inbound referrals over the years. And like part of that is like, I'm sure you did, you know, over delivered for your clients and did great work. But also, like, I imagine that a lot of these people were just subscribers to your newsletter or followed you on Twitter. And it's not like everyone needs to post content all the time, but you need to, like, so you're talking about these people, like, who you emailed in December and they're like, yeah, we don't need a project yet. But, like, now you're in their head as, like, someone who, like, right. you're in their head. And it's like, over the course of the next 24 months, might they need research? Might they Probably. actually be curious to get something done quickly? So yeah, it's like, and we need do, to also we continue to exist in people's minds in some yeah, capacity have a, automatic. And- and we have a newsletter that we send for for Excavate every month. And then we also do like free research. So basically like every call it like two, three months. I try to, I'm trying to do it more than every quarter now um, because they work so well. It's just we create like a free report on a topic that oh, a lot cool. of people care about. Um, and then we just give that out for free. But that's like a great way to give people who are like on the fence, you know, a, because we can't ship. So this is one problem with the business, which like, I think like, well, it's not a problem, but it's just like a nature of the business. You know, like some people do a great job on LinkedIn and Twitter of being like, you know, posting screenshots of like, look at all the money we saved, like our client, yeah. like we saved $92,000 for them or whatever. Like, I wish we could do that. Um, but every single project we do is under NDA. So it's like, okay. I can't share like, hey, here's the report we did for Kimberly Clark or like, here's the report we did for Estee Lauder. Like, I'd love to. I'd love to be able to be like, this is the topic we researched for them because then I could go to their competitors and be like, hey, yeah. you know, your competitor is looking for like this thing. Maybe you should do that too. Um, but I can't do that, right? So uh, the the free reports give us something to give them as like an example. And it's like, this is the kind of thing you can get. Um, but also to your point about staying top of mind, it's a great way to stay top of mind because that report is probably going to get passed around the company a little bit. And yeah, there's like the three guys who also are all, all interested in nuclear right now. And there's a little like nuclear 
employee resource interest group or whatever. And it's exactly it's exactly that. So then then they'll pass it around. And then when they have a need, it might be two months from now, three months from now. It's like, oh, yeah, who had done that report like three months ago? Like we should we should talk to that company. And it's the stuff comes back around. Yeah. And to your point, like podcasts are also, I think, another. um, So it's like posting content in different channels, but it's also like it's almost like creating this like clone or like, yeah, but it's all these different like channels that people can get to like be exposed to you to remind remind them that you exist and that your company exists yeah and on the flip side it's like you need to be doing the same thing long enough for good things to happen to you it's like the that's a great point too yeah because if you're if you're bouncing around for so long then you know or you're not sticking with a project for too long then it's like what is that person even doing you have no idea so the no one's going to come to you for stuff I've no. actually, by the way, noticed that about the book too. It's like the book never, you know, and I don't think ever will. It's a too niche, niche of a topic. You know, it was not like a book that's selling 10,000 copies, 20,000 copies. It's sold like 3,500 copies so far. But like anybody who's buying that book is actually probably a good target customer. <laughs> so it's... Or a super it's, fan. Or a super no, so it's one of those, right. It's yeah. like one of those kinds of things where... I found like we, the customer we signed last week, for example, like I talked to him for the first time in, in that December uh, conversation I was telling you about. After that conversation, they like, I guess, looked me up and like, well, I guess they connected on LinkedIn or something. Ended up buying the book. I met with them in person because they're not far from where I am in January. And the guy had, I went to their office and the guy had my book like on the shelf. So I didn't know he had done that. And then he had all these like, you know, uh, sticky notes in there. Like he he definitely read the book and was like asking me questions from it. And like the book did all the selling. Like I feel like I yep. didn't have to sell after that. Like the difference between the first conversation and post him reading the book conversation was like, it's not that it was night and day. He was already like, call it like a lukewarm buyer. Um, but he went from lukewarm to basically being sold already. Like the conversation in, in person was just about like the specifics. Like sure. the dollars and the timeline and all that stuff, but not really about like, should they work with us? But he's already yeah. convinced. Um, so to your point about like putting out content and stuff, that is actually doing selling for you without you being on the phone, which is really cool. Yeah, I uh, to the conversation we were having at the very beginning uh, of the recording in terms of like being a podcast host. Uh, you know, I used to think of it as like very selfishly, right? These are people like kind of you're talking about, like these are people who... I just want to participate in the conversation. It's very one-sided, watching them, reading them, whatever. I'm like, I want to be a participant in the game. And so my goal is like, okay, how do I not be like extrative? How does this like also a benefit to that? And so like, okay, so I need to build an audience such that this is also useful for that other person. But early on, I realized that's just not the case because of the exact same thing we talked about. Like the pitch to someone is like, you're going to spend an hour explaining all of the most common beginner questions to the thing that you do. When someone, half the time when you take a meeting, someone's going to Google you before that meeting. My podcast is going to come up in the first five results on Google and they're going to listen to it completely. Then you're going to come into this meeting with someone who knows all of your stuff and is like so prepared for you. Like that's the thing that like helped me overcome like the obstacle of like pitching people. Cause I'm like, not that I'm like, oh, I'm doing you a favor, but like I am doing something genuinely useful for you. It's like your prospects are going to come to these meetings and you're not going to have to tell the story of like, I was a freshman in college and then I did this, then I did this, then I did this, then this happened, this happened, this happened, and now we're here. It's like, right. you skip all that. Your meetings just start straight sauce. Like, no, nothing else. No waste of time. No fluff. It's funny because when, when I had uh, Eric Jorgensen on outside the system, he was like, I think this was on the like this part of the episode, not just the pre-show banter, um, where he was like, yeah, I always say yes. Because I was very new. Like, that show was super new at that time. It was maybe, I think he's like episode four or five or something. That's okay. like pretty early. And he's like, yeah, I always say yes to podcast interviews because it's like I spend one hour on a call and the episode could be listened to, you know, thousands of times, you know, decades in the future, hundreds of years in the future. I'm like, yeah, man, if people are listening to my podcast hundreds of years in the future, like, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. But um, but to, but the point he was trying to make was like from a leverage perspective, it's like he spends one hour of his time and now like potentially a lot of people can listen to him during that time and then are like it's like doing work for him while he's not actively like he did the work one time and it, you know the conversation can repeat infinitely yeah i've learned so much from eric just like same same just like being in his universe in, in any respect uh, i mean to your point about yeah to, to your point there about like what you were saying a second ago about 
kind of only focusing on one person or a couple of people at a time and like learning from them. Um, Eric is definitely up there for me. Like, I feel like so many of the things he's talked about, I've used in Excavate and in other things in my life. Um, and it's just, yeah, he's he's been awesome. Yeah. There have been times where I've said on the show, like, actually, like, if you just never listen to my podcast again and just instead reinvest all the time into rereading Eric's book 10 times, I'd actually not be upset. <laughs> like, again, I started this to help people. And that could potentially genuinely be more helpful than listening to the show. It's just like read the Naval Almanac and like it'll literally take it to heart. Uh, that's actually the last question I want to end with. Uh, one of your podcasts made you think is like a really in-depth book podcast and to really mansplain it and not capture a lot of nuance book podcast. Uh, for someone like in terms of practical, because you've talked about a lot of stuff like beginning of infinity and like these absolute monster books that are like super deep and esoteric. Uh, what was like the most practical, beneficial book to your career as an entrepreneur that you've covered on the show? Probably Eric's book is <laughs> up there. Um, the Almanac, or Navalmanac, that's what we call it. Um, yeah, another one was The Goal. Um, the Goal, like G-O-A-L. It was pretty early on, but basically it was about um, <clears throat> like where the roadblocks are in a system, particularly a company. Right. So like and it's told in like a story, not like it's not like a business book. It's told as like a fiction book, but it demonstrates business concepts. Um you know what? We've done like ninety-one episodes now, and I like forget <laughs> what all the other I'm books are. On memory. There we go. I said I was yeah. gonna use it again. We got there. But those are but those are definitely like two that come to mind. Like definitely Eric's book is probably a like super high on the list, and then Anything beyond that is probably, you know, probably secondary. Like, but, but Eric's book has been super influential on me because I, I'm not naturally good at thinking that way. And the funny thing is, Eric said when I talked to him, uh, on the, on the podcast, like he also is not very good at thinking this way. So it's funny because Nat is, I think, very naturally a leverage oriented thinker. You know, he, and he always says it's because he's lazy, right? It's like he just doesn't want to do the work. So he always looks for like shortcuts and, Eric and I and I'm definitely this way and I think Eric is this way too and a lot of people are I think uh you know it's you find that it's easy to brute force something you're like I can just do it you know I can spend the three hours to go build a list or whatever four hours you know whatever it is to go actually do this thing um instead of being smart about it like finding the shortcut and so I think like Eric says that like he he got really deep in this topic because he wanted to get better at it himself and it just kind of led him down this rabbit hole um, and I, and that's why it was so, that's why I think his book was so influential on me too. Cause it's like, even as he was, uh, as I was reading the book and as he was talking about it, it's just like all the things he was saying were resonating with me. Cause I, I kind of started in the same place where it's like, my instinct was not to be, not to be, not to work smart. It was just to like work hard, uh, which I think is probably a lot of people's problem. Yeah. That's one of my favorite pieces of this podcast meta is you know, I interviewed Eric in like September of 2020 and or October, whatever, roughly in that time frame. And then like that book came out, obviously made a huge splash. And then there are people who read it, implemented it that I interviewed a year later. And I'm like, what was the thing of your story? And they're like, well, I read this book and I implemented it. And like, look where I am now. Like, so there's so many people that have like their full cycle of like finding a life changing piece of information, acting on it, and then now having like a super fascinating story can like trace back to the work of like other past guests, which is like super, super cool to see. So like to some extent, that's like also true of you. Yeah, that there's this like web of connections almost. Exactly. Um, one other book that I should mention, even though uh, even though I don't know about the author so much anymore, but uh, he's still oh, a very brilliant is guy. Is it Taleb? It's Antifragile. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Antifragile is, I, I try to separate the ideas from the, the man. Um, and the book is still very, you know, has been very influential on me. And I kind of think about it a lot where it's, you know, how fragile, especially like even from a business perspective, personal and business, but business, especially where it's like, how fragile is my company? Um, you know, when we had one customer with like super fragile and two customers, slightly less fragile, like 10, 11, 12, like the more you get, the less fragile it is. But then, but then there's fragility you think about for other areas of your company as well. Like are all of your leads coming from one channel and you know if something happened to that channel or a cost change like are you i've been through that yep so yeah what 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 is that story if you don't mind sharing just 
working in crypto <laughs> yeah. during yeah, a bull oh, market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then working in crypto in a bear market. Uh, so it's like, oh, so everyone's talking about Twitter and crypto on Twitter all day, every day. And it's like, oh, just kidding. And like yeah. also some key, key person risk as well. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that book, I think, is is pretty useful too. Um, would not recommend following Taleb on Twitter, though, for your own sanity. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's a million other things we could get into. And uh, I'm happy to chat whenever, just whether it's a podcast or not, just to keep, keep the conversation rolling. I think there's a lot. I'd love to continue discussing with you. What's the best start here place for you on the internet for anyone who's listened to this? Uh, I need to be better about that, but Twitter is probably the best place. Um, the real Neil S. I've been trying to get my handle Neil Sony, but Twitter hasn't released it yet. That person hasn't logged in in years. I hope you get Neil Sony something, but the real Neil S. right now. Um, I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. And then um, people can reach out to me too. I know some people don't like getting cold emails, but I actually enjoy it. I feel like I've met some really cool people over the years through just them reaching out on my website. So my website's neilsony.com. Uh, and then my email is is on there. So it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. Amazing. Well, this has been a blast. Also check out the podcasts that Neil has. And yeah, Neil, this has been a blast. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is super fun.